we were without Christ, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two of the twain one new man so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell. I'm after your hearts, not your heads, is a refrain often heard by college students in Dr. Mitchell's Bible classes. In his own words, his goal was to help you fall in love with the Savior, and his teachings always tended to fill your mind with the Lord Jesus Christ. He was also a pioneer radio speaker. In his day, there were no tape recorders, so he and his organist had to be at the station five evenings a week. He was heard live every weekday on radio stations in the Northwest. The Unchanging Word is an independent Bible study, but by the grace of God, we can still benefit from the ministry and teaching of Dr. John G. Mitchell. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Here on the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast, as we continue in Ephesians chapter 2, we will discover what the Gentile believer in Christ has obtained, which the first Jewish believers in the Messiah also had. The Apostle Paul himself is the prime example who writes here about what we have by the blood of Christ. Christ himself is our peace, who has united in himself both Jew and Gentile by the cross, so making peace. Well, Dr. Mitchell will give us an understanding of what Jesus accomplished for both Jew and Gentile by his blood. Here's Dr. Mitchell. Good day, friends. It is again our great joy and delight to come to you today with studies in the Epistle of Paul to the Ephesian Church. As you know, we are dealing with Paul's prison epistles. We expect to go through Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. These three books, I should say, or could I use the word? It's a package. These three books are knitted together, and they were written by the Apostle Paul from prison while he was in Rome. And we've been discussing in the second chapter this question of reconciliation. Uh, at the first part of the chapter, the first 12 verses, what we were in time past, and then what we are now, and then the prospect of showing forth the riches of his grace even through eternity. Now we come down to verse 13 and running through to the end of the chapter. We have set before us the wonderful, wonderful truth of reconciliation. I would like to read from verse 13. Now he's just spoken of the fact that we were without Christ, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, 
you who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two of the twain one new man so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now I've entitled this chapter, Reconciliation, What the Lord Has Done For Us. Now to reconcile someone means peace must be made. Uh, if I may be allowed to do this, when our Savior died on the cross, you remember, he cried out, it is finished. He finished the work of redemption. Or a better term would be, he, he finished the work of salvation. Provision was made to save sinners. For example, he died to put away our sins and emancipate us from the penalty, guilt, and bondage of sin. We call this redemption. And then he satisfied the, the, the holy, righteous character of God. See, God has something in the cross, and God was perfectly satisfied with the work of his Son. His righteous character was vindicated. Uh, theologically, we call this propitiation, his God's side of the cross. And then we talk about reconciliation. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, that is, God making peace for men. Now in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, I read, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. We were not reconciled to God when we accepted the Savior. We experienced reconciliation then. But the foundation was already made for us. God is no longer looking upon men in wrath, in judgment. He's looking upon men in grace, in mercy. The mercy of God endureth forever. As we had in the, in the fourth verse of this chapter, God is rich in mercy and great in love toward us even when we were dead in sins. So reconciliation, if I may use the term, if I might be able to suggest to your thinking, reconciliation is the fact that God has made peace for man. God was the one who was offended. We were the offenders. But God has made provision. Peace has been made. There is nothing to hinder a person coming to the Savior. Nothing to hinder a person being saved of becoming a child of God except their own unbelief in Jesus Christ, God's Son. In other words, when I accept the Savior, I experience peace with God. Now, let me, let me just suggest, for example, in verse 14, He is our peace. In verse 15, He made peace. And then, in verse 17, He preached peace. That's why I call this chapter Reconciliation. Now let me go down to, to verse 13. 
but now in Christ Jesus. Not mark the change. We were without Christ, without hope, without promises, without God in this world. But now, change. Just like you had in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. We were children of wrath like the rest, but God, who is rich in mercy. And the same thought in, in Romans chapter 3, 20 and 21. The whole world guilty, every man's mouth shut. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. By the law is the knowledge of sin. God shuts every man's mouth from self-glory. Then he turns right round and reveals his heart. Having shut man's mouth, now God has a chance to talk to us. No use for Paul and Romans to talk about the wonderful righteousness of God and the provision made for sinners when men are talking about the Rome. So in Romans, it takes nearly three chapters from Romans 1 from verse 18 right down through 3.20, and there he proves all men guilty before God. He must do that, otherwise men will not listen. Why are not more people saved today? It's because they're occupied with their own selves, with their own goodness, with their own professed goodness, might be a better way to put it. I was talking to someone just the other day, he said, I don't need a savior. Mitchell, I don't need a savior. I'm as good as you or any other preacher. Well, that may, that's not saying very much. I said to him, is that what you're going to tell God? That you're as good as the preachers? Huh, that's no ground to stand upon. No, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when man's mouth is shut, talking about his own self-righteousness, then God opens his heart and reveals his. Likewise here. First verse says we were dead in sins. Verse 3 says we were children of wrath like the rest. But God is rich in mercy and great in love. So we come now to verse 13. But now, he's talking to people who were without Christ, without promises, without hope, without God. And in this 13th verse, they were afar off. But God's done something. He's made them nigh by the blood of Christ. Oh, what a wonderful thing. Not by human merit, not by religious exercises, not by going through some dogma or creed or ordinance made nigh by the blood of Christ. You see, friend, he put away our sin by the sacrifice of himself. The grave has been defeated. Death has been defeated. Judgment is gone for the man, the woman, but their trust in the Savior were made nigh unto God. Only one way, by the blood of Jesus Christ. You remember in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 20, we have a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. He's consecrated this way through his blood. So you and I have access unto God by one spirit unto the Father. There's a wide open door into the presence of God, but you've got to come his way. That's what the Lord meant in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by me. I want to make it very clear, my friend. God is accessible for you, for me. But he has declared the way. Don't you try and put some man-made way in there. Your way is a way of death. My way is a way of death. God's way through Jesus Christ, the way of life. 
So we take that 13th verse. But now in Christ Jesus, you, you who sometime were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That is, that through the precious work of our Savior, we've been made nigh. I, I just love those verses, you know, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9, 12, he entered once into the holy place with his own blood and there obtained for us an eternal salvation, an eternal redemption. 1 John 1, 7, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, shall cleanse you from all sin. In Ephesians 1, 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. In Revelation 1, 5, he was the faithful witness the first begotten of the dead, and the one who loved us and washed us from our sins, loosed us from our sins in his own blood. Revelation 7, 14, the great song of redemption in heaven. For thou hast redeemed us by thy blood out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and tribe. Oh, friend, listen. The only way you'll ever have access to God by faith in Jesus Christ. You remember Hebrews 11, 6 makes this statement. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith says I can come right into the very presence of God. Faith says that God is accessible. God has made the way. He asks nothing for you, from you, except to come and put your trust in the Savior. To me, it's an amazing, astounding thing that people will not accept the Savior. Why don't they? Why don't they come and accept the great offer of mercy, of love, of salvation, of eternal life, of relationship from God as a free gift? Why don't they? No, there are too many men like the preacher in the eastern part of our country who said, I'd rather go to hell on my own two feet than to go to heaven on the back of another. Well, I know where he's going, and I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I've accepted in simple faith the marvelous provision that God has made for men and women like you and me. And I know I'm talking to people today, right now, who have never really come to the place of putting their trust in Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. My friend, there's only one way you can ever come into the presence of God. And Jesus Christ is the way. But we read here, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who at one time were afar off, way off, dead in trespasses and sins, children of wrath like the rest, walking in the lust of the flesh and in the lust of the mind, rebels against God without Christ, without hope, without God, afar off, have been made nigh. In Christ Jesus, we've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. Don't hold back on this question of the blood of Christ. God, God has put it in the book. As Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. From the book of Genesis chapter 3, when man first sinned right down to the present time, anybody who has ever been cleansed from sin has been cleansed on the ground of sacrifice. And God sent his Son to be the redeeming sacrifice for your sins and my sins. He appeared once in the end of the age to put away sin, to put away the barrier between you and God. 
Now, let me come down to verse 14. For he is our peace. Now we come to this question of reconciliation. I said here a little while ago in verse 14, he is our peace. In verse 15, he made peace. In verse 16, verse 17, he preached peace. He is our peace. He made peace. He preached peace. What does God want you to have? Peace. You know, I'll be very blunt when I say this. If there's anything this poor old world needs, whether it's nationally or internationally or personal, is peace. Peace. Oh, to have peace. That wonderful experience of peace. My friend, there is one place where you can have real peace. Whatever the world, whatever happens in the world, national or international, makes no difference. Whatever happens in the world, whatever your circumstances, whatever your condition, there is a place where you can have real, real peace with God. Enjoy peace. Let me to suggest for your thinking this question of peace. You know, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. That means we're no longer at enmity with God. We've been reconciled. Peace. We have peace with God. Do you have peace with God? What do you mean by that? There's nothing between God and you. You're no longer an enemy. You're no longer a child of wrath. No longer afar off. You've been brought into relationship with God and covered with the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, being declared righteous by God, we have peace with God. This is true of all Christians, whether you experience it or whether you don't experience it. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have peace with God. The enmity has been removed. In John chapter 14, verse 28, we have another one. And this is the gift of peace which God gives to his people. Jesus said to his disciples the night he was crucified, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The last verse of John 16, Jesus said, In the world you shall have tribulation, but in me you shall have peace. In the world, chaos, tribulation, trials, tests, sorrows. In me, you'll have peace. Wonderful thing. Peace with God and the gift of peace. And here, in 2.14, he is our peace. Wonderful thing, isn't it? Now, in Philippians chapter 4, 7 to 9, I read that. Now, the peace of God shall Keep your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say, And the God of peace shall be with you. If there is anything God wants us to have and to experience, is peace. I know I am talking to many people today who would like to experience real peace. Friend, there is one who has made provision whereby you can have real peace. I find families broken up. I find hearts that are full of terror. I find some full of fear. I even find Christians who are afraid to come in the presence of God. They're afraid to die. My friend, when you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, all the provision was made for you to 
to enter the presence of God and stand before him in all the righteousness of Christ. Peace has been made. Isn't it wonderful? Whatever the circumstances may be, you can have real, real peace. Why? For a child of God, the Lord is on the throne. He has all authority in heaven and earth. He works all things out after the counsel of his own will, not only for the church at large, not only for the nations of the earth, but for your personal individual life. He's working everything out after the counsel of his own will. God has a purpose and a program in you. And you can be sure of one thing. You can bank on this, that the Lord will work his purpose out for your good and for his glory. Hence, perfect peace. Perfect peace. The Lord doesn't leave you. Why well, you say, Mr. Mitchell, my prayers don't even go beyond the ceiling of my room. Isn't it wonderful they don't have to? The Lord is with you in the room. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, that I could get into God's people's hearts and minds this fact that every individual believer, not only the strong ones, but the weak ones, not only the mature ones, but the babes in Christ, not only the spiritual believer, but the carnal believer. All are the express objects of the love and grace and care of God. And you can enjoy real peace. He made peace. He preached peace. He is our peace. The foundation for our peace never changes. I don't care what happens in the world. The foundation of our peace never changes. He is our peace. The trouble is, you see, we get our eyes on our, on our experiences, on our circumstances, and we watch our feelings, etc., etc., and get our eyes off the Savior. It's so easy to do that. So easy to become distracted from the one who is altogether lovely, the one who loves you with an everlasting love. And I just feel I'm talking to some people today. What you need is not only peace with God. You say, I have that. You need the experience of peace. You need to enjoy his peace, a peace of which the world knows nothing. You remember, Jesus said this, My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What does the world know about that wonderful, wonderful peace? We sing about it, we talk about it, we preach about it, but all to enter into the fact that the peace of God can guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus and to know that the God of peace, the God of peace will never leave us, never leave us. In fact, I would suggest for your thinking that in the book, the New Testament is called more the God of peace than any other title. He's a God of peace. He made peace, preached peace. <laughs> he is our peace. Aren't you glad for that? You see, Mr. Mitchell, you don't know my circumstances. I don't need to know your circumstances. He knows your circumstances. He knows all the detail. He knows the whole business. He knows more than you know about it. And yet he still loves you, cares for you, and wants you to experience his peace. I just pray that the Lord will grant to you today the experience of his peace. And Father, we, we can't help but pray today for some of your people who are 
who need the experience of real, real peace. May they enjoy that today in your presence. And we pray for your glory and for their good. In Jesus' blessed name. Surface relationships used me till I was done in, and all the while someone was begging to free me from sin. He was there. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.